0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends. You're listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us this week at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 151, entitled The Leto Myth and Christology in Revelation 12. We are continuing our ongoing series that looks at how God and Jesus are portrayed in the book of Revelation. Hopefully, you have been blessed by my readings of these sometimes difficult-to-understand passages in the sometimes confusing book of Of revelation in this week's episode of the biblical Unitarian podcast we will look at Revelation chapter 12 where there is a sign regarding this cosmic struggle between good and evil on the side of good we have this woman who is pregnant with a child who is destined to rule on the side of evil we have this terrible dragon who pursues the woman and her son. Now, what many casual readers of Revelation are unaware of is the fact that this section of Revelation chapter 12 is actually drawing upon a popular mythic story, or you might call it a fable, where strikingly similar characters do similar things. This fable which is called the Leto myth, circulated in the Greco-Roman world, and it even originated in the region of Asia Minor. This episode will explore this sign as it appears in Revelation chapter 12, and it will compare it with the Leto myth in order to see if we can draw any significant conclusions about the Christology of the book of Revelation. Now, Jesus' birth is actually mentioned in Revelation chapter 12. So I suppose that since this is December, and since many Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus, we can actually call this a Christmas-themed episode. Kind of, sort of, but not really. What will we learn when we set the ancient Leto myth side by side with the depiction of Jesus in Revelation chapter 12? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the woman and the dragon in Revelation chapter 12. I'll start in Revelation 12, and I'll read the first six verses. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. That's Revelation 12 verses 1 through 6 in the NASB. So in these first six verses, who are the actors in this cosmic drama between good and evil? Well, I've counted four particular actors. The first one is the pregnant woman. She is the protagonist. We also have a dragon, who is clearly the antagonist. There is the male child of the woman, the child that is the son of the woman. And we also have God in heaven, an enthroned God in heaven. So we have these four actors or actresses within this particular story. The pregnant woman, the dragon, the male child, and God in heaven. So what can we say about the woman? Well, it used to be popular to interpret this woman within the scholarship of the book of Revelation as either Mary, the mother of Jesus, or as Israel, the people of God. Now, to interpret this as Mary is somewhat understandable because Mary was the mother of Jesus. And in this story, this woman is the mother of Jesus. You can see how people have drawn that particular conclusion. Some other interpreters regarded this woman as the nation of Israel. And Israel is frequently personified as a female figure in the Hebrew Bible. Sometimes you'll find Israel described as a woman. Sometimes you'll describe Zion, the city, described as a woman. But you can understand how that works. There's a lot of imagery that's used there that was formerly used of the nation of Israel back in the Hebrew Bible. The primary problem with both of these suggestions is that the obedient readers of Revelation are also portrayed as children of this mother according to chapter 12 verse 17. Now, modern scholars have basically rejected the Mary interpretation, but what they've done is that they've nuanced the nation of Israel interpretation, and they've suggested instead that the woman represents the collective people of God, both past and present. This way, the woman includes the readers of Revelation, the obedient readers of Revelation, and it still sees Jesus as the descendant of God's people. And this particular interpretation, interpreting the woman as the collected people of God, is confirmed later in Revelation when the people of God are described specifically as a female, a very specific female, namely the Bride of Christ. And so since the Bride of Christ seems to suggest ideal Christian readers, the people of God, it seems to suggest that the woman here is also another way of describing the people of God, the collective people of God, both past and present. That seems to be the conclusion that modern scholars on the book of Revelation have come to adopt. Now, the dragon, there's really no need to debate the identity of the dragon within the story of Revelation chapter 12. Because Revelation 12 explicitly tells us that the dragon is an image for the devil. In chapter 12, verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. Revelation 12, verse 9. Clearly there, the narrative of Revelation wants there to be no ambiguity or question regarding the identity of this particular dragon. This dragon is the devil. This dragon is Satan. And it even identifies it with the serpent of old. That's very interesting. Then we come to the actor of the male child. Clearly this male child is Jesus. And this Jesus, who is born of this woman, who represents the human people of God, it seems to be... A descendant of humanity so if Jesus descends from the collective human people of God then this makes Jesus a human being now we also learn about this male child is that he is to rule the nations with a rod of iron or is he many translations say that he is to rule the nations with the rod of iron With that verb rule but there are a number of scholars that have questioned whether this is the correct interpretation of this particular verb in fact when you look at the BDAG lexicon under the verb Pimeno it gives these particular definitions number one to serve as tender of sheep to herd to tend to lead to pasture to watch out for other people to shepherd to serve as a lead or a guide it's the activity of a shepherd one who protects cares for and nurtures it's very interesting there and so this is why some of the modern translations have rightly in my opinion translated this verb as to shepherd it is jesus who is to shepherd the nation's with a rod of iron that seems to be the primary and dominant definition of the Greek verb pimeno Jesus the one who's going to shepherd the nations with the rod of iron and we know from Psalm 23 that the shepherd has a rod the rod and the staff that comforts me So Jesus here is being depicted as a child that is going to shepherd the nations with a comforting rod of iron. Now, the child's life in Revelation 12 is not discussed or even elaborated on, other than the fact that he is the target of the dragon. We only learn that he is caught up to God in heaven, and this very clearly indicates the ascension of Jesus. I don't want to say the ascension because that is an active verb. Jesus ascends in the active sense. But it says that Jesus was caught up to God. And with that divine passive, it indicates that God exalted Jesus. God promoted Jesus up to heaven. And it's not just up to heaven. It's up to God and God's throne. So Jesus is brought up to God and to God's throne, indicating that Jesus now shares in God's rule and authority. And lastly, we get to God as the final character. God is the enthroned God, clearly. We see that God here is someone distinct from Jesus. God and Jesus are not confused, and the two have not collapsed into some single being. And this God in the Greek is called the God, Theon K Pros tone thrown on off two. We have the definite article the God, not just a God or any sort of God, it is the God that we all know. and this God has a singular pronoun. So we note this God in heaven is one single person. So there we have it. that is the image. The sign that we actually have in Revelation 12 verses 1 through 6 with those four characters. And most readers of Revelation, as I've already mentioned, tend to just read through this and they are unaware of the fact that Revelation is drawing on an ancient mythic story and fable that also has these same four characters. And it is to that story that we will now turn. Our second point today is looking at the woman and the dragon in the Leto myth. So I'm going to be drawing on two ancient authors in recreating the Leto myth. The first author is going to be Herodotus. Herodotus is a very famous Greek historian. Herodotus lived in the 5th century BC. so about 500 years prior to the writing of the book of Revelation. That's a long time, actually. 500 years is a long time. And this actually demonstrates that this myth existed back in the Persian period. Those who want to look up the specifics of where Herodotus describes this particular myth can look in his Histories, Book 2, paragraph 156. I'll also be drawing on the work of Hyginus. Hygenus is a Latin speaking fable writer, and Hyginus's life actually overlapped with the 1st century B.C. and the 1st century A.D. They think that he actually died around the beginning of the 1st century A.D. But it demonstrates that since the Leto myth appears within a variety of his fables, that this myth was continuing to be circulated even before the book of revelation was written since Hyginus wrote in latin it demonstrates that the leto myth was circulating in the first century in a way that had been translated from greek into latin and those that want to dig up the specifics of the leto myth in hygienists fables they can look at fable number 53 55 and 140. So we have two different authors writing in two different languages from two different periods of time, both predating the book of Revelation. Now, the main characters in the Leto myth are these four persons. Number one, we have Leto, L-E-T-O, and Leto is the woman. And guess what? Leto is pregnant. She is the protagonist in the story. We also have the dragon Python. Python is his name. And in Latin, this dragon Python is described as a serpent. He is the antagonist of the story. We have the son of Leto, the one that is born of Leto, and his name is Apollo. And we also have the father of Apollo, who is Zeus, the head of the Greek pantheon. So in the Leto myth, we have the woman Leto, the dragon Python, the son of Leto, which is Apollo, and the father of Apollo, which is Zeus. So this is how the Leto myth or the Leto fable is told when you put all of the sources together. We learn that there is a terrible dragon named Python, and this dragon was warned in an oracle that he would be defeated by one of Leto's children that's very important in the story Leto became pregnant by Zeus and they had a son whom they named Apollo now Apollo was born on the island of Delos which is actually 40 miles away from the island of Patmos the island on which John received the revelation that is recorded in the book of Revelation It is actually from this island, the island of Delos, that the Leto myth originated and began to be circulated. Now, during Leto's pregnancy, Python the dragon, fearing for his life at the hand of the child to be born, actually pursued Leto. However, Leto was taken away from Python in order to put her in a place of safety, a place of safety and nourishment. And the story goes on to note that Apollo, after being born, eventually did go on to defeat Python the dragon. And that is the Leto myth, the ancient Leto myth. It is pretty clear to see that this story's major details were adopted and retold in the vision of Revelation chapter 12. Leto, the pregnant woman, has become the extended people of God, personified as a female figure. Python, the serpent dragon, has become Satan the dragon, who is also the serpent of old. The newborn child Apollo is now the male child Jesus who is to shepherd the nations. And Zeus, the father of Apollo, is now the enthroned God in heaven, the God of Jesus. I should make this point that just because Revelation chapter 12 is drawing on this ancient myth, I'm not using this as some sort of mythicist argument to suggest or even to hint at some sort of argument that These characters, Jesus, Israel, Israel's God, are fake, made-up images. No, clearly these persons already existed in time, in history. It's just this particular retelling that we have in the imagery of the book of Revelation, specifically in chapter 12, is barring on this particular story. It's retelling the story, remolding this particular story and presumably this story would have been understood by Revelation's readers, and it would have caught on to the fact that Revelation is taking the story and using it in a very interesting way. Having seen how the Leto myth was retold with Christian themes, what can we say about God and Jesus based on this symbolic retelling? Well, we can see that Jesus is distinct from God. That's pretty clear. Jesus was brought up to the God. And so these are two distinct characters. We also learn that Jesus was born as a descendant of humanity. And this makes Jesus a human being. No surprise there. Jesus has been exalted to heaven by God. And this indicates a promotion, an exaltation as you might call it, And Jesus, because of this, is exalted in power and authority. We also see that Jesus ascended to God's throne. That's why I pointed out in Revelation 12 that Jesus was caught up to heaven, to God, and to God's throne. This means that God has shared his throne with Jesus, and the imagery of the throne indicates rule and kingship. And this means that God has shared his rule and his kingship and his authority with his human son, Jesus. It's also interesting to note that Jesus has taken the place of Apollo. And since the Roman emperor Domitian, who was likely the reigning emperor at the time of the writing of the book of Revelation, Domitian was often portrayed as Apollo This suggests that the narrative of Revelation is trying to subvert Domitian with the truth claims of Jesus. Jesus is thereby better than Domitian. So readers of Revelation should choose to follow Jesus, not the emperor of Rome. One of the problems that had to be alleviated with many of the communities to which the book of Revelation was written, was compromising Christians that thought that it was okay to worship God and the Lamb on Sunday but worship the Roman Emperor on every other day of the week and they thought it was okay to do both things they were compromising, they were accommodating with imperial worship so it's interesting how Revelation subverts the truth claims of Apollo, perhaps even the truth claims of Domitian here and replaces them with Jesus the true God Who is enthroned in heaven has also taken the place of somebody taken the place of Zeus Zeus was regarded as the head of the Greek pantheon but the God of Jesus is now regarded as the Almighty it is interesting that Zeus who was the father of Apollo has now been replaced with God and this God is of course the father of Jesus So we have Zeus, the father of Apollo. Apollo, thereby, is the son of God. And now we have God, who is the father of Jesus. Jesus, of course, is the true son of God. It is also interesting that in the Leto myth, that Apollo defeats the dragon. And in Revelation chapter 12, it goes on to give its Christian retelling of this particular point. And you can read it in chapter 12 and verse 11 which says and they the faithful people of god conquered him the dragon because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and because they did not love their life even when faced with death so the faithful people of god are able to share in Jesus' conquering of the dragon because they identify with the blood of the Lamb. That indicates, of course, that Jesus was mortal and that he died. And because of the word of their testimony, that is the message of their testimony, the testimony of the gospel, which Revelation elsewhere calls the testimony of Jesus, Jesus' gospel, Jesus' gospel of the kingdom of God. And they didn't love their life even when faced with death, meaning they were faithful in their life, even when they were faced with martyrdom. They were willing to die in their loyalty and obedience to the Lamb. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the Book of Revelation draws on a widely circulated myth in its portrayal of the ongoing struggle between the people of God and the devil. The Leto myth, told of how a dragon... Fearing for his life, pursued the woman Leto, who was to bear a son named Apollo. And Apollo would eventually go on to defeat this dragon. This Apollo was the son of Zeus, the head of the Greek pantheon. We also noted that Revelation chapter 12 drew on the Leto myth in its portrayal of the people of God and Jesus Jesus is the human descendant of God's people, while God is still the Father of Jesus. Jesus is brought up to heaven and to the throne of God, indicating a promotion and an investment with God's own rule and authority. Readers of Revelation are invited to share in the defeat of Satan by identifying with the blood of Jesus, by maintaining their witness of Jesus' gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, and by refusing to love their life even when faced with a martyr's death. By portraying Jesus as a son of humanity, who is distinct from the God of heaven, and who has been exalted to heaven to share in God's own rule, this suggests that the book of Revelation possesses a high human Christology rather than an angelic or Trinitarian Christology. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Join us next week as we look at how scholarly portrayals of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet collectively representing an unholy trinity don't actually prove that the three are juxtaposed to a holy trinity within the book of Revelation. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. Please share your favorite episodes with your friends, subscribe to us on iTunes, and leave an honest review for others to see. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. I want to offer a special thanks to Dustin Williams for his excellent editing and post production of the Biblical Unitarian podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care and be safe.